Chapter Eighteen of Clementina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clementina by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Eighteen. Wogan and Clementina continue their journey alone. They reached Ala towards two o'clock of the morning. The town had some reputation in those days for its velvets and silks and Wogan made no doubt that somewhere he would procure a carriage to convey them the necessary five miles into Venetian territory. The Prince of Baden was still ahead of them, however. The Inn of the Golden Lion had not a single horse fit for their use in its stables. Wogan, however, obtained there a few likely addresses, and set out alone upon his search. He returned in a couple of hours with a little two-wheeled cart drawn by a pony, and sent word within that he was ready. Clementina herself, with her hood thrown back from her face, came out to him at the door. An oil lamp swung in the passage and lit up her face. Wogan could see that the face was grave and anxious. "'Your Highness and Mrs. Massey can ride in the cart. It has no springs, to be sure, and may shake to pieces like plaster. But if it carries you five miles it will serve.' Massey and I can run by the side. But Lucy Massey must not go, said Clementina. She is ill, and no wonder. She must not take one step more to-night. There would be great danger, and indeed she has endured enough for me. The gravity of the girl's face as much as her words convinced Wogan that here was no occasion for encouragement or resistance. He said with some embarrassment, yet we cannot leave her here alone and of us two men her husband must stay with her dare we wait till the morning asked clementina lucy may be recovered then wogan shook his head the courier we stopped at wellishmile was not the only man sent after us of that we may be very sure here we are five miles from safety and while those five miles are still unabridged listen Wogan leaned his head forward and held up his hand for silence. In the still night they could hear far away the galloping of a horse. The sound grew more distinct as they listened. "'The rider comes from Italy,' said Clementina. "'But he might have come from Trent,' cried Wogan. "'We left Trent behind twelve hours ago and more. For twelve hours we crept and crawled along the road. These last miles we have walked.' any moment the emperor's troops might come riding after us ah but we are not safe i am afraid clementina turned sharply towards him as he spoke this unwonted confession you she exclaimed with a wondering laugh yet he had spoken the truth his face was twitching his eyes had the look of a man scared out of his wits yes i am afraid he said in a low uneasy voice when i have all but won through the danger then comes my moment of fear in the thick of it perils tread too close upon the heels of peril for a man to count them up each minute claims your hands and eyes and brain claims you and inspires you but when the danger's less and though less still threatens when you're just this side of safety's frontier and not safe indeed indeed one should be afraid a vain spirit of confidence and the tired head nods and the blow falls on it from nowhere oh but i have seen examples times out of mind i beg you no delay the hoofs of the approaching horse sounded even louder while wogan spoke and as he ended a man rode out from the street into the open space before the inn the gallop became a trot 
"'He is riding to the door,' said Wogan. "'The light falls on your face.' And he drew Clementina into the shadow of the wall. But at the same moment the rider changed his mind. He swerved. It seemed, too, that he used his spurs, for his horse bounded beneath him and galloped past the inn. He disappeared into the darkness, and the sound of the horse diminished. Wogan listened until they had died away. "'He rides into Austria,' said he. "'He rides to Trent, to Brixen, to Innsbruck, and in haste. "'Let us go. I had even a fancy that I knew his voice.' "'From a single oath uttered in anger? "'Nay, you are all fears. "'For my part I was afraid that he had it in his mind "'to stay here at this inn where my little woman lies. "'What if suspicion fall on her? "'What if those troopers of the Emperor find her "'and guess the part she played?' "'You make her safe by seeking safety,' returned Wogan. "'You are the prey the Emperor flies at. "'Once you are out of his reach, "'his mere dignity must hold him in "'from wreaking vengeance on your friends.' "'Wogan went into the inn, "'and calling Misset told him of his purpose. "'He would drive Her Highness to Perry, "'a little village ten miles from Allah, but in Italy.' At Perry, Mrs. Massey and her husband were to rejoin them in the morning, and from Perry they could travel by slow stages to Bologna. The tears flowed from Clementina's eyes when she took her farewell of her little woman. Though her reason bowed to Wogan's argument, she had a sense of cowardice in deserting so faithful a friend. Mrs. Massey, however, joined in Wogan's prayer, and she mounted into the trap and at Wogan's side drove out of the town by that street along which the horseman had ridden. Clementina was silent. Her driver was no more talkative. They were alone and together on the road to Italy. That embarrassment from which Wogan's confession of fear had procured them some respite held them in a stiff constraint. They were conscious of it as of a tide engulfing them, neither dared to speak, dreading what might come of speech. The most careless question, the most indifferent comment, might, as it seemed to both, be the spark to fire a mine. Neither had any confidence to say, once they had begun to talk, whither the talk would lead. But they were very much afraid, and they sat very still lest a movement of the one should provoke a question in the other. She knew his secret, and he was aware that she knew it. She could not have found it even then in her heart to part willingly with her knowledge. She had thought over much upon it during the last day. She had drawn herself into it from the company of her fellow travellers, as into a private chamber. It was familiar and near. Nor would Wogan have desired, now that she had the knowledge, to deprive her of it. But he knew it instinctively for a dangerous thing. They drove on in silence while the stars paled in the heavens, and a grey pure light crept mistily up from the under-edges of the world, and the morning broke hard and empty and cheerless. Wogan suddenly drew in the reins and stopped the cart. "'There is a high wall behind us. It stretches across the fields from either side,' said he. "'It makes a gateway of the road.' Clementina turned. The wall was perhaps ten yards behind them. "'A gateway,' said she, "'through which we have passed.' "'The gateway of Italy,' answered Wogan, and he drew the lash once or twice across the pony's back, and so was silent. Clementina looked at his set and cheerless face, cheerless as that chill morning, and she too was silent. 
She looked back along the road which she had traversed through snow and sunshine and clear nights of stars. She saw it winding out from the gates of Innsbruck over the mountains, above the foaming river, and after a while she said wistfully, "'There are worse lives than a gypsy's.' "'Are there any better?' answered Wogan. So this was what Mr. Wogan's fine project had come to. He remembered another morning when the light had welled over the hills, sunless and clear and cold, on the road to Bologna, the morning of the day when he had first conceived the rescue of Clementina. And the rescue had been effected, and here was Clementina safe out of Austria, and Wogan sure of a deathless renown, of the accomplishment of an endeavour held absurd and preposterous and these two short sentences were their summary and comment. There are worse lives than a gypsy's. Are there any better? Both had at this supreme crisis of their fortunes but the one thought, that the only days through which they had really lived were those last two days of flight, of hurry, of hope alternating with despair, of light-hearted companionship, days never to be forgotten, when each snatched meal was a picnic seasoned with laughter, days of unharnessed freedom lived in the open air. Clementina was the first to perceive that her behaviour fell below the occasion. She was safe in Italy, journeying henceforward safely to her betrothed. She spurred herself to understand it. She forced her lips to sing aloud the Te Deum. Wogan looked at her in surprise as the first notes were sung, and the woeful appeal in her eyes compelled him to as brave a show as he could make of joining in the hymn. But the words faltered, the tune wavered, joyless and hollow in that empty morning. "'Drive on,' said Clementina suddenly, and she had a sense that she was being driven into bondage, she who had just been freed. Wogan drove on towards Perry. It was the morning of Sunday, the 30th of April, and as the little cart drew near to this hamlet of thirty cottages, the travellers could hear the single bell in the church belfry calling the villagers to Mass. Wogan spoke but once to Clementina, and then only to point out a wooden hut which stood picturesquely on a wooded bluff of Monte Lassini, high up upon the left. A narrow gorge down which a torrent foamed led upwards to the bluff, and the hut of which the windows were shuttered and which seemed at that distance to have been built with an unusual elegance was to wogan's thinking a hunting-box clementina looked up at the bluff indifferently and made no answer she only spoke as wogan drove past the church door and the sound of the priest's voice came droning out to them will you wait for me she asked i will not be long wogan stopped the pony you would give thanks, said he. I understand. I would pray for an honest heart wherewith to give honest thanks, said Clementina in a low voice, and she added hastily, There is a life of ceremonies, there is a life of cities before me. I have lived under the skies these last two days. She went into the church, shrouding her face in her hood, and kneeled down before a rush chair close to the door. A sense of gratitude, however, was not that morning to be got by any prayers, however earnest. It was merely a distaste for ceremonies and observances, she strenuously assured herself, that had grown upon her during these ten days. 
She sought to get rid of that distaste as she kneeled by picturing in her thoughts the prince to whom she was betrothed. She recalled the exploits, the virtues which Wogan had ascribed to him. She stamped them upon the picture. "'It is the king,' she said to herself. And the picture answered her, "'It is the king's servant.' And lo, the face of the picture was the face of Charles Wogan. She covered her cheeks with her hands in a burning rush of shame. She struck in her thoughts at the face of that image with her clenched fists, to bruise, to annihilate it. It is the king, it is the king, it is the king, she cried in her remorse. But the image persisted. It still wore the likeness of Charles Wogan. It still repeated, No, it is the king's servant. There was more of the primitive woman in this girl bred in the rugged countryside of Silesia than even Wogan was aware of, and during the halts in their journey she had learned from Mrs. Massey details which Wogan had been at pains to conceal. It was Wogan who had conceived the idea of her rescue in the king's place. In the king's place Wogan had come to Innsbruck and effected it. In the king's place he had taken her by the hand and cleft away for her through her enemies. He was the man, the rescuer. She was the woman, the rescued. She became conscious of the futility of her attitude of prayer. She raised her head and saw that a man kneeling close to the altar had turned and was staring fixedly towards her. The man was the Prince of Baden. Had he recognized her? She peered through her fingers. She remarked that his gaze was puzzled. He was not then sure, though he suspected. She waited until he turned his head again, and then she silently rose to her feet and slipped out of the church. She found Wogan waiting for her in some anxiety. "'Did he recognize you?' he asked. "'He was not sure,' answered Clementina. "'How did you know he was at Mass?' "'A native I spoke with told me.' Clementina climbed up into the cart. "'The prince is not a generous man,' she said hesitatingly. Wogan understood her. The prince of Baden must not know that she had come to Perry escorted by a single cavalier. He would talk bitterly. He would make much of his good fortune in that he had not married the princess Clementina. He would pity the Chevalier de St. George. There was a fine tale there.' Wogan could trace it across the tea-tables of Europe, and hear the malicious, inextinguishable laughter which winged it on its way. He drove off quickly from the church door. "'He leaves Perry at nine, said Wogan. "'He will have no time to make inquiries. "'We have but to avoid the inn he stays at. "'There is a second at the head of the village which we passed.' To the second inn Wogan drove, and was welcomed by a shrewish woman, whose sour face was warmed for once in a way into something like enthusiasm. "'A lodging indeed you shall have,' cried she, "'and a better lodging than the Prince of Baden can look back upon, though he pay never so dearly for it. Poor man, he will have slept wakefully this night. Here, sir, you will find honest board and an honest bed for yourself and your sweet lady, and an honest bill to set you off in a sweet humour in the morning.' "'Nay, my good woman,' interrupted Wogan hastily, "'this is no sweet lady of mine, nor are we like to stay until the morrow. "'The truth is we are a party of four, but our carriage snapped its axle some miles back. "'The young lady's uncle and aunt are following us, and we wait only for their arrival.' 
Wogan examined the inn and thought the disposition of it very convenient. It made three sides of a courtyard open to the road. On the right and the bottom were farm buildings and a stable. The inn was the wing upon the left hand. The guest-rooms, of which there were four, were all situated upon the first floor, and looked out upon a little thicket of fir-trees at the back of the wing. They were approached by a staircase, which ran up with a couple of turns from the courtyard itself and on the outside of the house-wall. Wogan was very pleased with that staircase. It was narrow. He was pleased, too, because there were no other travellers in the inn. He went back to the landlady. "'It is very likely,' said he, "'that my friends, when they come, will, after all, choose to stay here for the night. I will hire all the rooms upon the first floor.' The landlady was no less pleased than Mr. Wogan. She had a thought that they were a runaway couple and served them breakfast in a little parlour up the stairs, with many sly and confusing allusions. She became confused, however, when after breakfast Clementina withdrew to bed, and Wogan sauntered out on to the high road, where he sat himself down on a bank to watch for Captain Messay. All day he sat resolutely with his back towards the inn. The landlady inferred that here were lovers quarrelling, and she was yet more convinced of it when she entered the parlour in the afternoon to lay the table for dinner, and saw Clementina standing wistfully at the window with her eyes upon that unmoving back. Wogan, meanwhile, for all his vigilance, watched the road but ill. Merchants, peddlers, friars, and gentlemen travelling for their pleasure passed down the road into Italy. Mr. Wogan saw them not, or saw them with unseeing eyes. His eyes were turned inwards, and he gazed at a picture that his heart held of a room in that inn behind him, where after all her dangers and fatigues a woman slept in peace. Towards evening fewer travellers passed by, but there came one party of six well-mounted men whose leader suddenly bowed his head down upon his horse's neck as he rode past. Wogan had preached a sermon on the carelessness which comes with danger's diminutions, but he was very tired. The head was nodding, the blow might fall from nowhere, and he not know. At nightfall he returned and mounted to the parlour where Clementina awaited him. "'There is no sign of Captain Messet,' said he. Wogan was puzzled by the way in which Clementina received the news. For a moment he thought that her eyes lightened, and that she was glad— then it seemed to him that her eyes clouded, and suddenly as if with pain. Nor was her voice a guide to him, for she spoke her simple question without significance. "'Must we then wait till the morning?' "'There is a chance that they may come before the morning. I will watch on the top stair, and if they come, I will make bold to wake your highness.' Their hostess upon this brought their supper into the room, and Wogan became at once aware of a change in her demeanour. She no longer embarrassed them with her patronage, nor did she continue her sly allusions to the escapades of lovers. On the contrary, she was of an extreme deference. Under the deference, too, Wogan seemed to remark a certain excitement. "'Have you other lodgers to-night?' he asked carelessly. "'No, sir,' said she. "'Travellers are taken by a big house and a bustle of servants. They stay at the Vapore Inn when they stay at Perry, and to their cost.' As soon as she had left the room, Wogan asked of Clementina, "'When did her manner change?' "'I had not remarked the change till now,' replied Clementina. Wogan became uneasy. 
He went down into the courtyard and found it empty. There was a light in the kitchen, and he entered the room. The landlady was having her supper in company with her few servants, and there were one or two peasants from the village. Wogan chatted with them for a few minutes, and came out again much relieved of his fears. He thought, however, it might be as well to see that his pony was ready for an emergency. He crossed silently to the stable, which he found dark as the courtyard. The door was latched, but not locked. He opened it and went in. The building was long, with many stalls ranged side by side. Wogan's pony stood in the end stall opposite to the door. Wogan took down the harness from the pegs and began to fix it ready on the pony. He had just put the collar over its head when he heard a horse stamping in one of the stalls at the other end of the stables. Now he had noticed in the morning that there were only two horses in the building, and those two were tied up in the stalls next to that which his pony occupied. He walked along the range of stalls. The two horses were there, then came a gap of empty stalls, and beyond the gap he counted six other horses. Wogan became at once curious about those six other horses. They might, of course, be farm horses, but he wished to know. It was quite dark within the building. He had only counted the horses by the noise of their movements in the stalls, the rattle of their head-ropes, and the pawing of their feet. He dared not light a lamp, but horses as a rule knew him for a friend. He went into the stall of the first, petted it for a moment, and ran his hand down its legs. He repeated the process with the second, and with so much investigation he was content. No farm horse that ever Wogan had seen had such a smooth, sleek skin or such fine legs as had those two over which he had passed his hands. Now where are the masters of those horses, he asked himself. Why do they leave their cattle at this inn and not show themselves in the kitchen or the courtyard? Why do they not ask for a couple of my rooms? Wogan stood in the dark and reflected. Then he stepped out of the door, and with even more caution than he had used when entering by it, he stole silently along to the shed where his trap was housed, and felt beneath the seat. From beneath the seat he drew out a coil of rope and a lamp, the rope he wound about him under his coat. Then he went back to his staircase and the parlour. Clementina could read in his face that something was amiss, but she had a great gift of silence. She waited for him to speak. Wogan unwound the coil of rope from his body. "'Your Highness laughed at me for that I would not part with my rope. I have a fear this night will prove my wisdom.' And with that he began deliberately to break up the chairs in the room. Clementina asked no questions. She watched him take the rungs and bars of the chairs and test their strength. Then he cut the coil of rope in half and tied loops at intervals. Into the loops he fitted the wooden rungs. Wogan worked expeditiously for an hour without opening his mouth. In an hour he had fashioned a rope ladder. He went to the window which looked out on the back of the wing, upon the little thicket of fir trees. He opened the window cautiously and dropped the ladder down the wall. "'Your Highness has courage,' said he. "'The ladder does not touch the ground, but it will not be far to drop, should there be need.' The window of Clementina's bedroom was next to that of the parlour, and looked out in the same direction. Wogan fixed the rope-ladder securely to the foot of the bed, and drew the bed close to the window. He left the lamp upon a chair, and went back to the parlour and explained. 
"'Your Highness,' he added, "'there may be no cause for alarm. "'On the other hand, the Governor of Trent "'may have taken a leaf from my own book. "'He may have it in mind to snatch your Highness out of Italy, "'even as I did out of Austria. "'And of a truth it would be the easier undertaking. "'Here we are five miles from the border "'and in a small tavern set apart from a small village "'instead of in the thick of an armed town.' "'But we might start now,' she said. "'We might leave a message behind for Mrs. Massey "'and wait for her in Verona.' "'I had thought of that. "'But if my mere suspicion is the truth, "'the six men will not be so far from their six horses "'that we could drive away unnoticed by any one of them, "'nor could we hope to outpace them and six men upon an open road. "'Indeed, I would sooner face them at the head of my staircase here, "'and while I hold them back, your highness can creep down that ladder.' "'and hide in the thicket,' she interrupted. "'Yet, yet, that leaves you alone. "'I could give you some help.' "'And her face coloured. "'You were so kind as to tell me I had courage. "'I could at least load your pistols.' "'You would do that?' cried Wogan. "'Aye, but you would, you would.' "'For the first time that day "'he forgot to address her with the ceremony of her title. "'All that day he had schooled his tongue to the use of it, they were not man and woman, though his heart would have it so. They were princess and servant, and every minute he must remember it. But he forgot it now. Delicate she was to look upon as any princess who had ever adorned a court, delicate and fresh, rich-voiced and young, but here was a rare woman flashing out like a light over stormy seas, the spirit of her and her courage. "'You would load my pistols,' he repeated, his whole face alight. "'To be sure, you would do that. "'But I ask you, I think, for a higher courage. "'I ask you to climb down that ladder, "'to run alone, taking shelter when there's need, "'back to that narrow gorge we saw "'where the path leads upwards to the bluff. "'There was a hut. Two hours would take you to it, "'and there you should be safe. "'I will keep the enemy back till you are gone. "'If I can, when all is over here, I'll follow you. "'If I do not come, why, you must—' "'Ah, but you will come,' said she, with a smile. "'I have no fears but that you will come.' And she added, "'Else you would never persuade me to go.' "'Well, then, I will come. At all events, Captain Massey and his wife will surely come down the road to-morrow. If I rap twice upon your door, you will take that for my signal. But it is very likely I shall not rap at all.' Wogan shivered as he spoke. It was not for the first time during that conversation— and a little later, as they stood together in the passage by the stairhead, Clementina twice remarked that he shivered again. There was an oil lamp burning against the passage wall, and by its light she could see that on that warm night of spring his face was pinched with cold. He was, in truth, chilled to the bone through lack of sleep. His eyes had the strained look of a man strung to the breaking point, and at the sight of him the mother in her was touched. "'What if I watched to-night?' she said. "'What if you slept?' Wogan laughed the suggestion aside. "'I shall sleep very well,' said he, "'upon that top stair. "'I can count upon waking, "'though only the lowest step tremble beneath a foot.' This he said, meaning not to sleep at all, as Clementina very well understood. She leaned over the balustrade by Wogan's side and looked upwards to the sky. The night was about them like a perfume of flowers. A stream bubbled and sang over stones behind the inn. The courtyard below was very silent. 
She laid a hand upon his sleeve and said again in a pleading voice, "'Let me watch to-night. There is no danger. You are racked by sleeplessness, and phantoms born of it wear the face of truth to you. We are safe. We are in Italy. The stars tell me so. Let me watch to-night.' and at once she was startled. He withdrew his arm so roughly that it seemed he flung off his hand. He spoke in a voice so hoarse and rough she did not know it for his, and indeed it was a different man who now confronted her, a man different from the dutiful servant who had rescued her, different even from the man who had held her so tenderly in his arms on the road to Allah. "'Go to your room,' said he. "'You must not stay here.' She stepped back in her surprise and faced him. "'Every minute,' he cried in a sort of exasperation, "'I bid myself remember the great gulf between you and me. "'Every minute you forget it. "'I make a curtain of your rank, your title, "'and, let us be frank, your destiny. "'I hang the curtain up between us, "'and with a gentle hand you tear it down. "'At the end of it all I am flesh and blood. "'Why did I sit the whole long dreary day "'out on the bank by the roadside there? "'To watch?' I could not describe to you one traveller out of them all who passed. Why, then, ask yourself, it was not that I might stand by your side afterwards in the glamour of an Italian night with the stars pulsing overhead like a smile upon your lips, and all the world whispering. You must not stay here. His eyes burnt upon her, his hands shook. From head to foot he was hot and fierce with passion, and in spite of herself she kindled to it. That he loved her she knew before, but his description of his city of dreams had given to him in her thoughts a touch of fancifulness, had led her to conceive of his love as something dreamlike, had somehow spiritualized him to the hindrance of her grasp of him as flesh and blood. Thus she understood she might well have seemed to be trifling with him, though nothing was further from her thoughts. But now he was dangerous, love had made him dangerous, and to her— she knew it, and in spite of herself she gloried in the knowledge. Her heart leaped into her eyes, and shone there, responsive, unafraid. The next moment she lowered her head. But he had seen the unmistakable look in her eyes. Even as she stood with her head bowed, he could not but feel that every fibre in her body thrilled. He could not but know the transfigured expression of her face. "'I had no thought to hurt you,' she said and her voice trembled, and it was not with fear or any pain. Wogan took a step towards her and checked himself. He spoke sharply between clenched teeth. "'Lock your door,' said he. The curtain between them was down. Wogan had patched and patched it before, but it was torn down now, and they had seen each other without so much as that patched semblance of a screen to veil their eyes. Clementina did not answer him or raise her head. She went quietly into her room. Wogan did not move until she had locked the door. Then he disposed himself for the night. He sat down across the top step of the stairs with his back propped against the passage wall. Facing him was the door of Clementina's room. On his left hand the passage with the oil lamp burning on a bracket stretched to the house wall. On his right the stairs descended straight for some steps, then turned to the left, and ran down still within view to a point where again they turned outwards into the courtyard. Wogan saw to the priming of his pistols and laid them beside him. 
he looked out to his right over the low-roofed buildings opposite and saw the black mountains with their glimmering crests and just above one spur a star which flashed with a particular brightness he was very tired and very cold he drew his cloak about him he leaned back against the wall and watched that star so long as he saw that he was awake and therefore he watched it at what time sleep overtook him he could never discover it seemed to him always that he did not even for a second lose sight of that star only it dilated it grew brighter it dropped towards earth and he was not in any way surprised he was merely pleased with it for behaving in so attractive and natural a way then however the strange thing happened when the star was hung in the air between earth and sky and nearer to the earth it opened like a flower and disclosed in its bright heart the face of a girl which was yet brighter and that girl's face with its broad low brows and the dark eyes and the smile which held all earth and much of heaven stooped and stooped out of fire through the cool dark towards him until her lips touched his it was then that he woke quietly as was his wont without any start without opening his eyes and at once he was aware of someone breathing he raised his eyelids imperceptibly and peered through his eyelashes he saw close beside him the lower part of a woman's frock and it was the frock which clementina wore one wild question set his heart leaping within his breast was there truth in the dream he asked himself and while he was yet formulating the question clementina's breathing was suddenly arrested it seemed to him too from the little that he saw between his closed eyes that she stiffened from head to foot she stood in that rigid attitude very still something new had plainly occurred something that brought with it a shock of surprise wogan without moving his head or opening his eyes a fraction wider looked down the staircase and saw just above the edge of one of the steep stairs a face watching them a face with bright bird-like eyes and an indescribable expression of cunning wogan had need of all his self-control he felt that his eyelids were fluttering on his cheeks that his breath had stopped even as clementina's had for the face which he saw was one quite familiar to him though never familiar with that expression it was the face of an easy-going gentleman who made up for the lack of his wits by the heartiness of his laugh and to whom wogan had been drawn because of his simplicity there was no simplicity in henry whittington's face now it remained above the edge of the steps staring at them with a look of crafty triumph a very image of intrigue then it disappeared silently wogan remembered the voice of the man who had spurred past the doorway of the inn at allah he knew now why he had thought to recognize it the exclamation had been one of anger because he had seen clementina and himself in italy he had spurred onwards towards trent there were those six horses in the stables whittington's face had disappeared very silently an honest man thought wogan does not take off his boots before he mounts the stairs clementina was still standing at his side without changing his attitude he rapped with his knuckles gently twice upon the boards of the stair she turned towards him with a gasp of the breath he rapped again twice fearful lest she should speak to him she understood that he had given her the signal to go she turned on her heel and slipped back into her room 
End of chapter 18